0: Hello and welcome back to the Flex. I'm Matt Saint Jean. This is Joe Howie, and we're here for another season of Friars basketball. Joe, it feels so good to say that.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's so weird. Um, I feel like the last season kind of just like snuck up under us with COVID and whatnot, and and now honestly, I, as much as I'm excited for the season to start, I'm even more excited to get back to the Dunkin' Donuts Center and actually watch these games in person.
0: Oh yeah, it's gonna be fantastic. All the atmospheres in the Big East coming back. Lots of change in the Big East. Lots of change for the two of us as well. Last time you guys heard from us, what was that? April. Um, yeah. We we've both had pretty busy summers, which is why you have not heard from us, Joe. You want to update the people on where you're at in life? Um, yeah. So I had a career change over the
1: summer. Um, I guess prior to September, I was working with a media company called Horizon Media. Um, I was an assistant video buyer there, so basically I was helping place commercials for clients and my old internship company, a, a company called Home Team Sports, reached out to me and offered me a position on their partnership development team. So past three weeks, I've been doing that. I've been loving it. And, you know, it's definitely brightened up my day. I get to work right in the thick of sports advertising, which I, I mean, as everyone knows, I love college basketball. They have their fingers really? all over the Big East conference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shocker. I like college yeah.
0: basketball. Hey. And as somebody that has to work with scheduling with you for these episodes, I, I love your new job because you actually have work-life balance. No more. That's I, that's- hopefully... <laughs> Less of the eleven o'clock or midnight recordings this year. <laughs>
1: Thankfully, I actually can can log off at a a, a humane hour as opposed to nine thirty, ten o'clock at night, recording till two a.m. with Matt. But yeah, work life balance is back.
0: Yeah, uh, and over here on my end, I am recording from a new room, a new building entirely. Uh, I picked up a job over the summer. I am now working in New York City. I have a marketing job. Uh, we're not back in the office yet, but I moved down here in August, out in Queens, enjoying the uh, enjoying the city, the ambiance, the atmosphere that it brings. The music. food. Oh, my goodness, the food. You're definitely you can... enjoying the food. Yeah, I'll tell you, There's, it's really dangerous. There's taco trucks right by the subway station near my apartment, and I've gone there way too often for lunch. It's fantastic. Also, like, I ate dinner right before this, and I was going to make myself some tacos. Ground beef I had went bad. Well, there's a Chinese place three doors down. <laughs> it's right at the end of the block. So call there, walk down, pick up my food. That's dinner. And food here is fantastic. It's amazing. So, yeah, we've, we've talked about doing a food podcast, and it's, I think it's closer to becoming a reality now than it has at any point in us doing that.
1: I actually had tacos for dinner tonight. I didn't tell you that. Oh, that's Taco Tuesday. It is Taco Tuesday. That's appropriate.
0: But yeah, so being in New York City, I had the unique experience of being at Madison Square Garden for the Big East Media Day, and oh my, it was so, so, so good to be back. Yeah,
1: man, I'm not going to lie. I was definitely jealous as you blew up my phone all day with these updates (laughs) as I was working. Um, So that was fun. That was definitely a fun time for me. But... Um, definitely have a couple of questions for you. I'm on, I mean, I want to pick your brain and just a disclaimer for everyone listening. This is the first time I'm actually picking his brain about this. Um, we decided to do it live. So I, I guess the, the first overall question is what is it like? I mean, we see on the, the receiving end of things what it looks like from the other side of the camera. So we can see John Fanta sitting with Nate Watson in front of a Big East backdrop with the court in the background and whatnot, but we don't really know what else is going on behind the scenes. So why don't you give us a little insight into what's going on?
0: Well, you mentioned John Fanta. First and foremost, that man is everywhere. If he is not on the camera, then he's schmoozing somewhere. He's talking to somebody. He's the most popular man in the building by far. I did get a chance to go say hi to him, catch up with him. But, yeah, you you go there and you start. The commissioner, uh, Val Ackerman, recently inducted into the Hall of Fame, comes out and makes an address to everybody, talks about the state of the conference, things like that. And after that, things kind of break down or break out. There's tables set up all around the court at Madison Square Garden. Val gives her address from the court. And at each table are the representatives from each team. So for some teams, it was two coaches, two players. For the Friars, it was Ed Cooley and five players. Every team kind of picks who they want to go, and you just walk around and talk to them. It's incredibly casual. For the most part, all the people are super friendly. They want to talk to you, and you just have a good time with it. And there's also all kinds of other media around. So you get to go there, talk to those people, make some connections, and the brains of everybody else you know here's here's what i think about the biggest what does this person think how do they think this team stacks up what do they what do they think about the additions oh here's a saint john's person here's a xavier person let's see what their perspective on this is so it's a great opportunity to come together and to get all of these different opinions on stuff and then this year in particular the atmosphere was fantastic everybody was so excited so happy to be there so friendly because we hadn't done that in forever the last time that the Big East has had anything like that was the Big East tournament that we were at when it was canceled. So you could well, feel that sense of relief from everybody. You could feel that joy of the interaction of getting to see people's faces and just hang out again. So it's an absolutely fantastic experience to be there. That's for sure.
1: Sounds like a fantastic time. I mean, I'm jealous just hearing about it. Um, <laughs>
0: I guess my next question. We'll have to to make a trip as the two of us next year.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll take the day off.
0: (laughs) Go down down to the Big East Media Day. Hell
1: yeah. Yeah. Um, No, but I guess um, my next question would have to be is, who is the most interesting person
0: in the Big East to talk to? Well, the most interesting person was somebody I didn't get to talk to because everybody else was interested in them. And that's everybody from the uconn delegation from the second that they set up their operation until the second that they had to pull away and go leave there was no less than 15 or 20 media members around that table all with their phones out recording audio asking questions cameras on them and it it was it was funny because you go down just around the corner and travis seal's sitting there by himself you can just go up to him and start talking to him asking questions But everybody was there for UConn. And it was the same when the women's team came out too. When it was them, it was still everybody on UConn, Paige Beckers, Gina Auriemma, all that. So I I never got the opportunity to talk to anybody from UConn because it was swamped literally the entire day. But from my own experience, I'll say everybody from Providence was super personable, easy to talk to. Travis Steele stood out as somebody that was incredibly easy to talk to he was very informative, very open about things, and I thought that was refreshing because not all the coaches are always like that. And some of these guys are intimidating figures, and they know it. But he was very casual. It's the type. I mean, I could go get a beer with him any day of the week now. It's just that kind of relationship. And I, some of the other people I talked to there, um, one one girl I was talking to there, she went off to him to ask a question. She started to ask a question, and he stopped her and was like, "Hey, hold on. Introduce yourself. Like, I, I'm I'm Coach Steele. Who are you?" and doing formal introductions and asking how they were all that. I thought that was the most interesting getting to see what some of these coaches are like on a one-on-one perspective.
1: That's awesome. I feel like a lot of times you don't get that, you know, these coaches and (laughs) players kind of play the role of celebrities, even though they're college students and their college coaches, like they're not celebrities. They're, regular people so I, I think exactly. that's an awesome tidbit right there um, I, so I have to ask now you, you said some coaches are intimidating uh, do you mean Patrick Ewing just because he is gigantic
0: <laughs> yes I do uh, I never got to I, I didn't get to speak to him one on one either but I do know somebody tried to ask him for a picture in the middle of this and they got shut down very quickly so I applaud that person for having the balls to, to ask Patrick Ewing for that um, but yeah, no, he is. I mean, he stands out wherever he is in that building. There's no question. There's no doubt about it. Like you see, I, how in the world they didn't identify him correctly last year for the Big East tournament? I have no idea.
1: <laughs> I think he used that situation where the security guards at Madison Square Garden didn't recognize him and fueled mm-hmm. his championship run. I, I mean. From the post-game presser, like, that was genuine anger. He he said his jersey's in the rafters and he's getting questioned for ID. So then he just goes and wins the whole damn thing. I I mean, props to him.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of that there. Um, Yeah, so obviously he's an intimidating figure out there and you also get i mean it, not everybody was equally available for media stuff like UConn they were at their table the entire day because there was a higher demand providence was there for most of the day but some of the other schools were getting called in for a lot of interviews or a lot of tv stuff villanova was barely at their table because they had all kinds of tv things to do and they had all kinds of interviews with john fanta things like that that we get in the way with that so you have that mixed bag of how who's going to be approachable how much time are you going to get so as somebody that was there for my first time that's all right now i'm learning what do i do for next time you gotta prioritize figure out what the schedule is going to be like all that
1: all right i mean you can't beat that i, I guess yeah. you know i'm, I'm going to transition here a little bit because i know people probably want to get to the meat and potatoes of the actual mm-hmm. content that was produced today um so I guess my final question on the actual logistics of Big East Media Day, um, what food did they provide? Because I remember when we went and we broadcasted the tournament, God, was that 2018-2019 season now? The last yes. time we were there for a full tournament. When we were there, the lunch was pretty good. I know you had to pay for the dinner. So, So what
0: was the food situation today, as briefly as you can? <laughs> they had a nice little buffet of sandwiches and stuff. We didn't have to pay for it. So I think I had a little chicken Caesar Caesar salad wrap. uh, And I had some kind of like a steak sandwich or something. I'm not entirely sure what it was. It was some kind of red meat and it tasted good. I think there was like mustard and onions on it with the red meat. So that was delicious. Then some drinks, chips, cookies, things like that. Pretty good spread. Madison Square Garden knows what they're doing there. Although Before we move on. I do want to say a couple other – I know because we want to talk a little bit about Providence, some of the preseason rankings, but I want to give a couple other general notes of some of the things I picked up on. A lot of the coaches and the players were getting asked about the um, the new rules allowing them to make money and get endorsement deals, things like that. And Overwhelmingly, the response from coaches and players was basically, we're happy about it. It's a good thing. It hasn't impacted us. It has had – Almost zero impact on their day-to-day lives, and I thought that was interesting. Obviously, it's a media day. You're not going to have players there bragging about how much money they made off of something. That's just not what's going to happen. But there was no dramatic reactions in any direction from anybody from it. Coaches that were happy for their players to get the opportunities and players that seemed to care a lot more about winning games than making money, which I think is a good thing. And it's for people that are worried about how it's going to impact the landscape of the sport – year one first impressions from the actual guys in the sport is not a lot has changed.
1: Interesting. I, I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that because I was one of the skeptics that was a, a little nervous about the NIL rules. Um, I mean, just because, you know, these guys, you know, when you're in the spotlight at such a young age, sometimes it's very easy to get a big head, and that's mm-hmm. why you see the development of these one-and-done schools, Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, Kentucky, the Blue Bloods, Villanova. I mean, you you look at these schools that produce NBA players in two years, like these players, these young kids get a little full of themselves. So I'm, I'm definitely glad to hear that it's not making too much of an impact. Again, it's only year one. So I'm interested to see like five, ten years down the line, how it will impact players. But um, hopefully that means Nate Watson can start making some revenue from TikTok <laughs> because that's definitely yeah. uh, a nice cash flow
0: Hello for him. Yeah, got to get those ads right there. But yeah, and then I, it, the other thing is it's one thing to talk the talk before a game has been played with the new rules. It's another thing to walk the walk once the money is on the table. So we'll see what happens. But as a, somebody that's a fan of college basketball and the authenticity of it, I thought that was interesting. And another thing, the other big change to the transfer rules this offseason, a lot of the coaches, again, didn't seem overly bothered by the way things transpired. When Coach Cooley was talking about it didn't seem to impact the way he viewed building his team that much. And <laughs> the feeling the feeling was from that I could tell from coaches that had a lot of transfers come in, that they selected guys they thought fit the program and they're optimistic. And you talk to a guy like Travis Steele, who had a lot of guys come back. He was optimistic about they're bringing a lot of guys back, things are going to work. You talk to the Butler players, they're optimistic because the guys are still together. So there's nobody at this point that's like, okay, transfers really, really messed up our offseason. Everybody still feels pretty good. I think everybody thinks that they have well-put-together teams, obviously, at this point in the season. If you're not optimistic in the offseason, you're never going to be. But for all the, the... Doomed, gloom, or all the extreme takes you see on some of this stuff—it felt very business as usual today, and I think that's a good thing. I'm glad you
1: said that, Matt. About you know coming out of the off season feeling satisfied, because I feel like. With the abbreviated offseason going into last year, a lot of coaches entered the season with this kind of 50 50 feeling as to how things would go. And I think Providence was one of the teams that, you know, displayed that mentality. Obviously, there were outbreaks on campus that prevented the team from practicing even into October. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you saw the results 500 record and an under 500 record in conference play. So, you definitely, that's, soothing to the ears to hear that Ed Cooley's coming out of the offseason satisfied. And just to your point about him being uh, excited about the transfer market, of course he is. He, he lucked out with a couple of big transfers that will hopefully make a big impact.
0: Yeah. And it, and it's not just Providence. You look at a team like Seton Hall that got Kadari Richmond. They're all very excited about what he could bring to that program. You look at St. John's. There's a lot There's a lot of transfers on that team, a lot of new blood. Um, And also a team like Creighton, not transfers, but a lot of young guys. I mean, I think what a lot of the coaches had to say is it doesn't – There's, there's, you approach it differently with with newcomers depending on if it's a freshman or a transfer. But at the end of the day, a lot of your expectations for them are still going to be the same. And they're coming – when they join your program, you have a game plan for them already. You're not just, all right, we're going to pick some random pieces and see what happens – there's strategy to it. You pick guys with intent. So, I, again, like I don't think – all of these coaches have a plan right now. And it's only a matter of time to see if that plan works, see if the talent's there. But the conference seems very ready and very ready for fans to be back as well. Common theme, everybody very excited about just being able to see other people's faces again and get those – get the cheers in the building. And uh, what do you call it? Val, Commissioner Val Ackerman the lovely Val Ackerman. She's am- amazing. She said, as of right now, they're not anticipating any kind of limits on attendance for any games in the Big East. For like, eh. It's just not going to happen. We're having full buildings everywhere. So, this is a real Big East season. Giddy up. Good. Bury me at the dunk. Can't wait for those
1: $13 toll boys.
0: Woo! Fire me up. Ah, <laughs> oh. So, the, the big stuff that dropped today there, which... They they released this while I was on the subway to the event. They like to put it out early so everybody can kind of figure out their questions. They put out the preseason coaches poll and your preseason awards. And Joe, I know you put together your own preseason poll, how you were going to rank the teams. And I think we can kind of put together the teams in different groups here based on how they are in the poll. But we can kind of talk about how they relate to what you had expected. So first, just to go through the poll, no surprise, Villanova's up there at number one. They're ranked number four in the country. Is that what they are? Yeah. Um, They got 10 first place votes, which I think is the max you can get pretty much unanimous number one right there UConn in second they are also ranked right now at 24th Xavier at third they received votes St. John's at four Seton Hall at five Butler at six Providence at seven Creighton at eight Marquette at nine the defending Big East tournament champion Georgetown Hoyas at 10 and DePaul with a unanimous last place where do you want to start what was your first impression when you saw this come out this morning
1: Um, I mean, I wasn't shocked. Um, it obviously, you know, this because you've seen it, but it differs from the way I had ranked the teams. Um, I think the biggest, I wouldn't call it surprise, but knock is how low Butler is. Um, I mean, obviously everyone's going to put Villanova at number one, um, I mean that's kind of it's kind of a given at this point in the Big East, but Butler returns everybody. Why are they not being talked about? Same with Xavier. So I, I think my biggest pet peeve with with the rankings is giving Villanova and Connecticut like here you go throw them a bone. You guys are one and two. Keep in mind that transitioning to Connecticut here, Dan Hurley went four and four without James Booknight last year. And 11-4 and four with him. James Booknight is not on the roster anymore. Now, given they do return every other player on the roster, which is huge for that program and huge for that team. But, I mean, you got to read the writing on the wall here. James Booknight was a huge piece to that offense and to what they did. And with him gone to be like, oh, yeah, you guys get second just because they're Connecticut, because they came back to the Big East. I'm sorry. What, what did they do last season to prove themselves? They finished third in the conference. Okay, that's pretty good. They got wiped in the tournament. I, I mean, what did yeah. they
0: do? Yeah, And I think you bring up a lot of good points. So They have a, a great recruiting class coming in, four guys that are ranked in the top 100. That's great and all. We haven't seen what Dan Hurley can do with some of these guys. yet. I mean, this isn't Jay Wright where you know the freshman class is going to be good. It's basically a lock. You know what they're doing. You can trust the player development. I don't think we're at that level with this UConn program. And I don't think there's any doubt UConn's going to be a good team, especially when you look at the forwards that they have and the wings that they have. They're going to be able to play fantastic defense. They're going to be able to score. They're going to be incredibly athletic. They're going to be a good team, and they'll probably be ranked for a decent amount of the season. I don't know if there's some kind of a lock as the number two team, though. Like you said, you lose a guy like Book Knight, where does the scoring come from? I like RJ Cole. I don't know if I like RJ Cole that much. I'm
1: glad you bring up RJ Cole, Matt, because he, in the, fo- in the stretch where Book Knight missed eight games, he really was a, a staple piece to Connecticut's offense. A given they went four and four but he was the guy they went to and then as soon as book mm-hmm. night resurfaced it was like oh rj cole is back in the shadows like i hope he developed in the offseason because i actually enjoyed watching him play um yeah. physically he looks like miles powell he has the same little mannerisms as miles powell so uh, a little undersized guard is always fun to watch in this conference but i hope that he has a breakout year because he really, he kind of got the short end of the stick last season with respect to media attention.
0: Yeah. No, and it's, I don't know. I mean, you look at this UConn team, for as good as they are, they've got nobody on the all biggies first team. They do have yeah. the two guys on the second team RJ Cole, Tyrese Martin, and they got honorable mention with Adama I I think those are all good players. I, like I said, UConn's a good team. Getting first place votes over Villanova. Golovkin should be the default right now, unless they come in with some kind of terrible recruiting class or something. And with the state of the rest of the big East right now, with what Jay Wright has done, I mean, I don't know. And you talked about that other team there, right there with them, Xavier. I have Xavier above them. I think you had the Xavier above them too.
1: Yeah. um, I have Xavier at number two. I I mean, listen, Xavier was a tough out last year for the games that they were actually healthy for. I don't think anyone's going to argue that. They return a ton of guys. They have two All Big East preseason selections. I think Xavier, along with Butler, are the two underrated teams this season. And if I'm going to look at my my preseason rankings right now, I have Villanova at number one,
0: Xavier at number two, and Butler at number three. Because yeah. Xavier and Butler return everybody. Yeah, and that's going to be huge, I think. Uh, and that's I think one of the storylines of this season in the macro is just going to be about, all right what's the balance between teams that return to a lot of guys and teams that have impact transfers? Which matters more, high-level talent or continuity? Butler is a huge example of that. But you look at the Xavier team, I think they have both. You got a guy like Paul Scruggs, who is just a leader on the floor, first team, all Big East. Zach Fremantle, also first team, all Big East. And he returned everybody else. They got a whole bunch of role players who were big. Nate Johnson, Dwan Odom, Adam Kunkel, Kiki Tandy, I mean, and then you also add Jack Nunge, the guy from Iowa, the guy who played right next to Luca Garza. This is a really talented team. And talking to Coach Steele today, there's pressure on them. They know they hey, Coach Steele has not made an NCAA tournament. They want to get over that hump. Uh, they think this is the year. They think there's a lot of motivation in that room, and they're just ready to play ball and really get at it.
1: Let me tell you, Zach Fremantle is going to be a force this year. Not that Nate Watson isn't, but I, I mean, he is one of those positionless bigs, not a mamu who's playing the two, obviously, but I think Fremantle is the kind of guy that you really have to keep your eye on, especially when you're defending him, because he'll post you up or he'll jump out to the corner and hit a three. So really, really versatile big. You want him on your corner. You hate him when he's not in your corner. Um... But, yeah, I, I mean, Xavier, I feel like, was the easy number two choice. And the yeah. fact that they're ranked as low as they are, I mean, okay, three, as, as low as they but are.
0: The fact that they're ranked three instead of two irritates me. Yeah, and I, I think, for me at least, I, I think Yukon, Xavier, and Butler as two, three, and four can kind of go in any direction. I think there's a lot of ways you can be okay with that. But I, I have faith in Travis Steele. Like he talked to me at length today about how continuity of this team allows defense to play a lot better. They had great games last season where they're allowed 90 points. They're like, that's unacceptable. We're not. That's not going to happen this year. We're going to lock down. They said in practice already, you can tell that the energy is different. The cohesiveness is there, and I think they're going to give teams trouble, especially early on in the season. And I mean, this is a formula that's worked. Look at that Baylor team last year. Age doesn't lie in this sport. Yeah, but let's let's talk about Butler a little bit there, because I think this is another team that we are higher on than everybody, and it's not just us. Coach Cooley was asked, "Who are the who, who uh, should the media be talking about that they're not talking about?" Immediate answer, without a second of hesitation: Xavier Butler. Which was yeah. how the two of us were thinking before this, anyway. So it's good. It's good to see that Coach Kooloo's on the same page as us. Y'all are not talking enough about nationally about Butler Xavier. Uh, they're going to be really, really good. Those two teams are vastly underrated. Vastly underrated. But yeah, what is it about this Butler team that you like so much?
1: What I like about this Butler team is that let's rewind for a second and look at last season. They relied a lot on their freshmen chuck harris who was the other guy miles tate Mm -hmm. they relied a lot on their freshmen because they simply were just undermanned and now those freshmen and let's just say the entire starting five that started every game comes back and by the way butler had some pretty good wins last season they knocked off villanova they knocked off us they were a a scrappy and gritty team, and I think they're the prime definition of in-season growth and development. Why is no one talking about them as an upper-tier Big East team this year? I, it just, it, it it's mind-boggling. Yeah, a- everyone no, knows in this you. conference what experience does. Experience travels. Experience wins games. Butler has experience. They should be higher up.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's no yeah, brain. Yeah. And like you. I mean- Yeah, and if you look at this, Russ, like you said, so they had four guys that played the full season and averaged double figures. All of them are back. Two of them are going to be super seniors, Jair Bolden and Bryce Enzi. Also, let's not forget Aaron Thompson's coming back, who has battled injuries. But when he played, had almost five assists per game and over 10 points a game it's just there's a lot of good players on this team they're just all coming back they're going to run it back and i have faith in that coaching staff too I, I both of us were incredibly low on baller last year until we watched them play and yeah they finished 10th in the big east but they almost won 50 percent of their games in the conference and they were tough out game in game out they gave teams fits teams that they shouldn't have played with and it's like all right I mean, they've they have they've got one top—last year, they had one top 100 recruiter. That was Miles Tate, and he was 98th. This is not a team with high-level talent, but it's a team that is incredibly unified, playing very well together. And I think it's just going to play good basketball this year. At worst, they're a scrappy team.
1: I think this is 100% a result of just great coaching— Laval Jordan, I think, is probably one of, if not the most underrated coach in the conference. And not to Mm -hmm. mention, you add in Hinkle Fieldhouse at full capacity when the fans and and the Butler campus can actually get behind this team. Forget it. They're going to be a tough out at home. They're going to be a tough out on the road, too.
0: Yeah. And I think when we start looking down the babies a little bit here, one of the things I had a tough time with when you're trying to piece teams together is, all right, I mean, once you get past Villanova, you got teams that you think are good. But there's been so much change, and nobody really knows how this is going to play out on the court. They're going to have guys playing in front of a Big East environment for the first time. I think it's going to be a weird year. I think there's a lot of parity in the Big East this year. Because a team like Providence, that we all know and love, you lose a top guy. You bring in some transfers. You have a dominant first-team All-Big East player, Nate Watson. I don't think it would surprise anybody if the Friars struggled in Big East play, and I don't think it would surprise anybody if they went on a tear. Look at a team like Seton Hall. Very similar boat to Providence. They lost Mamu. They kept a lot of their other guys. They got Jared Roden, who's first-team All-Big East, free season. So we'll see what happens with them. I don't think it would surprise anybody if they were in that same boat. And vice versa, Creighton, lots of fragments. St. John's, lots of transfers. What will happen with them? I have no idea. Georgetown won the Big East tournament last year. Returned in some key players. Lost some key players. Oh, yeah. Where are they gonna be? I mean, they were finished they were picked tenth in the coaches poll. I think that's too low. They had the the fresh preseason freshman of the year for the conference. Who knows? I mean, I think from two through ten, it's a crapshoot. Um, Matt, I think this is a great uh transition
1: point. I'm just going to read you through the tiers that I set up here for my preseason rankings, because I think this is going to go nicely in tandem with your point. Uh, My tier one is NCAA likelies. I have Villanova and Xavier there. My tier two is labeled lost some added some and kept some. I have them ranked three Butler four, St. John's five Providence, six Connecticut, seven Seton hall. Um, Tier three is wild card, which is Creighton. Creighton brings in the best recruiting class in the conference but also loses all five starters and only brings back four roster members that actually logged minutes and games. And Tier 4 is rebuilding year Georgetown, Marquette, DePaul. But I think really the, the focal point this year of the Big East, which is what you just alluded to, is the second tier here, Butler, St. John's, Providence, Connecticut, Seton Hall. These teams all bring back a ton of guys. They lose some, not really Butler, but the other Four lose players. I think this is your logjam. Every year, there's the the team and the teams in the big east that go what is it like 10 and 9, 10 and 8 around that yeah. record, and they're all even. And then you have to find out, figure out the tiebreakers for big east tournament seating. I think
0: and, and these be are your two, teams. One or, yeah, and there'll be one or two teams that end up being the odd ones out, like we've seen Xavier Marquette fall into that camp the last couple of years, where all right. You get to the end of the season, they fall just under 500, you're not making the tournament, things like that. Yeah. So, yeah, and I, I'm 100% in agreement with you. I think there's going to be a lot of uh, interesting storylines this year and lots of craziness. I think you're going to see chaotic conference play. And that's why, I mean, one of the things that surprised me when you look through the coaches' poll is how clear a lot of these rankings are. It's clear that Marquette, Georgetown, and DePaul are the bottom three. It's clear that UConn is is over Xavier, and Xavier and Saint they've got Saint John's as number four, which I think a lot of that has to do with Mike Anderson and the job he's done there. Your your coach of the year last year, deservedly so, running a great program over there. But then I mean, Seton Hall is five points behind Saint John's. Butler is then eight points back, and then the drop off from Butler to Providence is 15 points, and then another seven to Creighton, and then 12 to Marquette. So it seems like it's a pretty clear top five, top six with Villanova, Yukon Xavier, St. John, Seton Hall, Butler. And then you get the drop off for the bottom half of the conference where Providence and Grayton are all right and the other three are bad. And I don't know if the lines are that clear cut.
1: Um, I would have to agree with you there. Um I'll actually I'll make my Villanova note first, and then Providence, because I'll I'll break down the Providence note a little bit further. But I also think no one is talking about the negatives of Villanova. I mean, I get it. Jay Wright's in the Hall of Fame, and Gillespie came back, and blah blah blah. Everyone can go on about the butterflies and the daisies and all the good stuff revolving that program. Colin Gillespie's coming back, but off of a serious injury. It, it's not mm-hmm. like he's like another fifth year that just took the past nine months to to recover and work on his game. He had to learn how to walk again—not realistically, but you know what I mean. He had to yeah. work on the motor functions of his knee. It's not like he had this full off season to completely develop himself into this monster fifth year guy. He had to recover and then come back and then start rebuilding. So, I think the, all this hype around Colin Gillespie—yes, it's warranted. He's their best point guard. He's their playmaker. I, I envision a Marcus Zagorowski. Type storyline where he kind of just plateaus. I, I just think logistically, if you look at the time off, a lot of it was spent recovering and not a lot of it was spent developing his game and, and furthering it. And not to mention, they lose their five man. That is a huge hole for them. And their five man that struggled defensively against bigger guys. Jeremiah Robinson Earl had trouble with the likes of Connecticut, Seton Hall. Georgetown and Providence because those big men were physically larger than him and actually played the five. How they're going to fill that hole defensively is beyond me. You can't stick Jermaine Samuels down there. Eric Dixon didn't get a ton of run. So I think there's definitely holes to Villanova. Obviously, I don't think anyone's going to debate that they're num- they're the number one team in the conference, but I-, I think you have to start poking and prodding and looking at these what-if possibilities.
0: Um, yeah. Any comments I on that? I will say, well, I mean, i say I think this might be where I play the Ed Cooley soundbite point, talking about them. Cooley talked a lot about how good Gillespie and Jermaine Samuels are, and just how the two of them give Villanova a really good base. And to go with that, um, there's been a lot of talk around Brandon Slater kind of having a breakout year for them. So... Well, I mean, we'll see what happens, and you know, I mean, I have some of the same doubts you do about Villanova, but at the same time, with what's happened in that program year after year, it's kind of easy to assume that the doubts are going to be erased at some point. Uh, That's the difference between Villanova and UConn, or Villanova and Xavier, or Villanova and a team like Seton Hall, which has some really good players on it. I think everybody's reasonably confident Jay Wright's going to figure out a way to put it together. Will Kevin Willard do that? Will Travis Steele do that? Will Dan Hurley do that? I think there's less confidence in those guys. I think one of them will. One of them will put together a good team. But you know that some of them won't. And I think people are confident in Jay Wright. I think with him, you expect it until it doesn't happen. And it's just a testament to what they've done with that program. As Providence fan, I hate to admit it because I hate playing them every year. (laughs) But everybody hates them because they want to be them. As true, it, I hate saying it, but it's true. I don't want to be them. Not at all. <laughs> Why? Well, I, I don't want to. I don't want to be them in terms of personality. But I okay, like the success okay. that they have. You don't like their bandwagon I, fans. Oh, I'll, I'll, and I will take Ed Cooley's suits over Jay Wright's suits every day of the week. Oh, easily. Ed Cooley was the best dressed today. If you look at that picture of oh. all the coaches. Uh, you you know what you know who I'm gonna point out though. If we're gonna talk about fashion, Nate Watson, he loves his fashion. Seeing him there today, he walks up. He's got this pretty regular-looking suit on, and he stands up. You look down at the floor, and he's got shoes on. It's like the slip-on dress shoes that yep. are covered in glitter. Black shoes just <laughs> covered in glitter that are shining. Oh my goodness, that man! He's flashy. He likes to make a show.
1: <laughs> he certainly does. Um- <laughs> Uh, on off in the, the background. Um, no, we got it. it's great trans- Friars fan back. Then. It is just, his name. He's named after a Friar Pip. Exactly. Great transition point talking about Nate Watson because I am probably going to say something that most Friar fans are not going to agree with. I like that Providence was picked seventh in the coaches' poll. I actually like that.
0: I I'm with you. And there was because, you kind of feel that energy today that they they felt like they had a chip on their shoulder, something to prove.
1: Yep, absolutely. And, and if you know the personality of Nate Watson, you know the personality of AJ Reeves, those guys don't like when their confidence is diminished. So if anything this was a boost to their confidence because they're gonna be like, All right, F you, we're coming back better than ever. And listen, the the ranking of seven is warranted. We went thirteen and thirteen overall and nine and 10 in conference play. And we got wiped by DePaul in the first round Wednesday night game of the big East tournament. Mm -hmm. Seventh is warranted. We also lost David Duke. However, I think people are sleeping on the fact that Nate Watson had an entire year off to build on what he had already built. AJ Reeves is going to come back and will hopefully string together a fantastic senior season, throw in a couple of transfers. Horkler got hot at the end of the year I think people are sleeping on us, and I think that seventh is appropriate given last season. And also, whenever we're picked low in the Big East, we always finish high. So, it's just historical.
0: Yeah, and yeah. I mean that's something cool. He's so guy he's, he's amazing at motivating his players. It's something right. that made him so successful at Fairfield. It's just he gets the best out of his guys. And yeah, like I, I think there's a lot to like about this Providence rotation. Another thing to note, Ed Cooley talked about how uh, Ed Croswell has lost some weight, which I think could be beneficial to the team. They lacked uh, a guy on the inside who could help with defense, because that's not Watson's forte. Great on offense, defense is a little bit less able, we'll put it that way. But you, you bring in a uh, very, very tall freshman who you hope can impact a little bit down there. And Croswell, with a little bit more mobility, might be able to come in and play the four, a little bit of an Emmett Holt-type role. When you need those defensive stops, that'll help you out a little bit. You need a guy who can come in and help you rebound. That's going to be big, who can spell Watson so Watson can take those five-minute breathers and the team won't fall apart. And you have the depth at wing with Manaya and um, Al Durham, right behind Reeves. These guys that can Rebound, knockdown shots, all that. There's a lot of there's a lot of options, and you're kind of counting on. All right, somebody's going to get hot every night. You got a lot of guys. Lawson's going to give you 20. Somebody else will get hot, and you'll play good defense. That's the strategy. What What
1: excites me the most about this team, Matt, and you kind of alluded to it when you said Croswell playing the four, is that the position? You, we'll just for numbers' sake, two through four are really positionless. It's not so clear cut A shooting guard, small forward, power forward. It could be three wings. It could be three guards and two power forwards. It could be a point guard, a shooting guard, a small forward, power forward, center. Again, my dog in the background. But I feel like the pieces to this puzzle are so interchangeable. I think Al Durham, who is someone who's trying to play the one this year behind Bynum, I just think there's so many different combinations with this group that you can play big you can play small you can play medium and i think that's what's most exciting about this upcoming season is to see how ed cooley kind of shuffles the deck and you know produces these lineups
0: yeah i'm 100 percent in agreement i know We're going to go into a lot more depth on this Providence lineup in our next episode. Ed Cooley will be giving his radio address uh, tomorrow night as of us recording this. So we're going to get a little bit more there. And we can talk more about some of the things I learned talking to the players. Did get a chance to talk to Al Durham and Justin Minaya today. So I can give you a little bit more info on some of the new guys on this team. That'll be in our next episode. But let's bounce back and talk about a little bit of league-wide stuff to finish this Is there anything else in these rankings or in the first, second teams that really jumped out to you when you saw it?
1: Yes. So as I pull this up, I was surprised that no Villanova player was placed on first team all preseason Big East. I mean,
0: we had didn't get Gillespie's player of the year, but yeah.
1: Right, but normally doesn't the player of the year also land on first team? Or am I the, bi-
0: miss- the Big East? The Big East has six players on the first team, where it includes the Player of the Year as the extra player on it. It's so I weird. See. Yeah, no other conference does that. So yeah, you look at the press release at first and you go, "Oh, where's Calvin Gillespie?" Because <laughs> um, <laughs> he's definitely a first team player.
1: No, I, I think the first team is spot on, um, and I'm going to say this with a full chest. I think Nate Watson has a serious, serious. Serious case for Biggie's player of the year, sure. I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, sure.
1: I think we could see a very similar storyline to where Marcus Zagorowski, you fast rewind to last season, Marcus Zagorowski got all of this preseason hype, didn't hit the expectations, and Mamu got Biggie's player of the year. And then he kind of had to share it with Robinson Earl and Gillespie, which was absurd. But I think you could the preseason expectation is that it's going to be a, a sharp shooting point guard. And when in reality, it's the, the center. I don't know. That's my thought yeah, process. No, I,
0: I, I think there's a lot that you said that's correct. I don't know if Watson's going to win it, but I mean, Gillespie, he's going to be bounced back from injury. I think Henny could win player of the year easily. I think Paul Scruggs could definitely win player of the year. I think there's a lot of options. The name that stuck out to me here on this All-Big East first team was Jared Roden. I would not have put him on my first team. I, he's good, but I, as somebody that watched him, like he had great stats, but the eye test for me never quite panned out. I don't think he's a bad player, but I think without Mamu there, he might struggle a little bit. He might not be as efficient as a scorer, and he might be a second-team type of guy. See, this is where I'll disagree
1: with you, Matt. As you, you and a lot of listeners know, I'm more of a defensive-oriented uh, guy. I prefer to watch like a, a gritty defensive player get accolades than, you know, someone who plays three and no D like Colin Gillespie. But um, Jared Roden gave us fits defensively last year when we played Seton Hall because he's six foot six, 210 pounds. He's the positionalist wing. He's your, your, for Providence reference, he's your Noah Horkler, your A.J. Reeves, your Justin Minaya. He can guard small or he can guard big. And I think that's why he got the nod to first team is because defensively he's a nightmare. He's a matchup nightmare. <laughs>
0: I mean, he really is, and I, you know, I mean, you make some fair points. You make, you make some fair points there. I mean, my pick. I th- honestly, I wouldn't be shocked if Chuck Harris gets himself up there from what we saw last year. He looks like a real good player for Butler. Uh, he was. He only made honorable mention. I don't think we're surprised by the fact that there's no DePaul players anywhere on this list. There's no Marquette players anywhere on this list. There's no Georgetown players except for Freshman of the Year with Aminu Muhammad, who's their top 50 recruit. So uh, those are the teams that were the bottom three in the Big East, according to the coaches. And that makes sense. There's less talent with those guys. And UConn has three players listed here. Villanova has three players listed here. St. John's has two. Seed Hall has one. Xavier has two. Providence has one. I mean, those are the teams that you expect to be battling it out a little bit. The only team that was projected to do even a little bit that doesn't have players on here is Creighton and they were still having I mean, your bottom four teams in the Big East are basically not represented with these players. So maybe that's your cutoff. If you're not represented with a veteran player in the preseason rankings, you're probably not going to be competitive. Bottom line: you got to have veteran play that is good. <laughs> it's quality.
1: I think, Matt, you're, you're exactly right. In, in focusing in on the top seven teams in the conference, no matter which way you arrange them, rank them, the top seven teams return guys and Mm -hmm. guys that had a meaningful impact on each of the teams last previous season, however you want to call it. Mm -hmm. And the bottom four, it's just straight up, you lost a lot of guys, you're definitely in a rebuilding year. That doesn't mean they won't compete. I mean, look at Butler last year. That doesn't mean that Creighton can pull a wild card and finish fourth. Who knows? I mean, the season hasn't happened yet. But I I think it's a safe bet to say that the bottom four teams are, are definitely leaning towards that rebuilding basement of the conference
0: here yeah i think you're absolutely right and i mean shaka smart wait what does that tell you when we've barely talked about shaka smart at all in this that's the state of this marquette program the big hire this off season, the biggest change in the conference probably so i mean i'm sure we're gonna deep dive into that a little bit later once we see what that looks like on the floor this is shaka smart now with a full head of hair by the way that's new i don't know if you saw um, that I did see that. He's had that for a
1: couple of years now, though. Um, yeah. But my note about Marquette, it's going to be so difficult to hate them now. Now that Wojo has gone. He was the main reason yeah. I hated Marquette.
0: <laughs> I mean, OK, I, I think you right, could still hate, the, the Friars still yeah. struggle up there. I think that's a valid reason. No, I uh, mean, who wants to go top. up to Wisconsin in January?
1: No, you're right. <laughs> Pfizer Forum's a tough place to play. I, I mean, there's other reasons why you hate them as as an in-conference rival, but I think Steve Wojo was the big one for me. I just – I couldn't and stand Howard. him. He, and the Housers. I didn't hate, I hate, hate the Hausers. I respected the Housers. Marcus Howard well, I think I, I I had a shred of respect for, but I hated the way he played. He was not a, a point guard, and the the broadcasting teams, the national media, oh, he's a great point guard. He averaged like two assists. What kind of point guard is that?
0: He's, he's now long gone, this Marquette program, trying to figure out the next steps up there. As we head into a new season, Joe, we are less than a month away from actual basketball in front of fans. That means something for Providence again. I cannot wait. We are going to have another episode for you coming up. We'll talk about the black and white scrimmage. We'll talk about what the players and coaches had to say, both at Media Day, in their media addresses, things like the radio address. We're going to cover all that in depth for you, and there's going to be some changes to our lineup this year. We have upgraded our streaming service, so we'll be available on more platforms. We'll have all our episodes up all year, and I know we're going to try to have some stuff coming along as we go throughout the year, trying to have some guests on uh, maybe, maybe adding some merch at some point. And uh, yes. yeah, we're going to try to have fun with it this year. So we're excited to have you all along for the ride, whatever happens at Providence in the Big East this year. And yeah, it's basketball time again. Thank God. Yeah, I needed this. I need, especially being all at Madison Square Garden again. That brought it back. I'm ready for basketball now. It's We're here. Yes, we are. <laughs> All right for Joe Howie, I am Matt St Jean. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and follow us wherever you are listening to this so you can stay up to date for the 202122 college basketball season. Thank you very much for listening and Go friars.